those types of companies that have those value propositions, those core values ingrained at the start, will inevitably make more money, be more successful, will attract the type of talent, whether it's investors, whether it's employees, whether it's co-owners, whatever that may be, because they want to be part of something better. They want to be something greater than. Most businesses today are not new ideas. You know, they're not the newfangled iPhone, you know, type thing. It's taking a property management company. How, how could we do this better? Let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's make the wheel better. Oh, okay. Let's do that. And I think a lot of times people, you know, entrepreneurs get in that mindset. I don't have an idea. I don't have anything new like that. You don't have to find something that's not working well or that's not up to your standards and fix it. Hell, do it better. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, you can go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. You can click on podcasts and you can scroll down and download this and all the different platforms on all the Amazons and Spotify and iTunes or even watch it on YouTube if you feel like seeing my pretty face. And today's guest... Matt Smiler, welcome to the show, Matt. How are you doing? Jeremy, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me out here today and looking forward to this conversation. Oh, it's going to be a good one. Well, I start every one of these off with a dumb joke because it annoys my father-in-law since he said I got to do a joke. So you ready for this one? Sure am. Okay. I'm afraid for the calendar. It's days are numbered. Oh, yeah, so bad, so bad. So I'm definitely not going to have a life in stand-up comedy. That is No, that not is yet, but sure. I'll give you one that you you could use next right, time. Let's hear, let's, 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 let's hear this one. What, what do you, you get when you cl- cross an elephant with rhinoceros? What? Hell if I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're having kids that are still little, man. I'm sure you get these all day long. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm the king of dad jokes, you know, and I think it's my purpose to embarrass my kids any chance I can get to be their dad. That is the best part of it. And then at one point in time, whenever I become a grandparent, is to make sure that my kids know that that's still my role. So for the audience, Mm -hmm. um, Matt and I know each other because we did our MBAs together at TCU. And uh, we became fast friends and long – God, you believe that that was seven years ago now that we – it's graduated. been incredible how fast it's gone by a blink of an eye. Yeah, type. lightning fast, lightning fast. So let's 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 let the audience know who you mm-hmm. are, where you're from. So let, let's go back to where'd you grow up and give us the 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 download of of the life of Matt Smiler. Oh sure, you know I'm a native Texan, so originally from Austin, but I was from Austin before Austin was Austin. You know, if you can believe, you could actually drive across town in in five ten minutes and. Uh, Round Rock and Pflugerville were the suburb, were the you know boonies type of mentality, not just an extension of Austin. You know, from there, spent a lot of time up in Kansas City, and then made my way over to to Boulder, and then back out down to to Texas. You know, kind of that prodigal son returning to to, to the native land. I, I kid, uh, and this is what's good for Fort Worth is that I have been part of every emerging entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial city uh, over the last 25, 30 years. 30 years, whether it be Austin, Boulder, Kansas City, and now here in Fort Worth, good things are coming with entrepreneurship. I'd like to say I have everything to do with that. Now, 
you got married and didn't live in Texas prior to the NBA. No, I was I was I was in Kansas City prior to to the NBA, having visions of being the next Tiger Woods. I thought. What do I love doing? Where does my passions lie? What is fun and what can I get paid for? Well, playing golf. Who doesn't want to do, do, do that? Unfortunately, what you find out very quickly is that it's very hard to be Tiger Woods. It's very hard to, to get into the, uh, the professional ranks of golf. And working at a country club, you don't have time to play or run a country club. You have to do everyday tasks and then you're one day off. Last thing you want to do is go back up to work, uh, and even if you are working, someone else wants to, your your time and attention. So I quickly realized that uh, that pursuit uh, 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 goal was not going to work. But what else might might be? And an opportunity came up to come down to Fort Worth, and my wife and I looked at each other and said, "Yes, and let's make the most of this. And how can we make a better life for ourselves, for our families, for our for our daughters?" And that brought us to Fort Worth and packed up everything we had in the course of two weeks and then moved down here with an open horizon and an open mind of what may come next. And enter the MBA program. Enter the, the MBA program, which was an opportunity to really expand and explore not only my strengths and weaknesses, but grow my network, find new opportunities, learn things I didn't know, how to be accountable how to be respected, how to be relevant in any conversation that I was part of. And so and we'll get down to we'll, – we'll go through more of postgraduate life. But let's talk about the program, right? I mean, I, I, I love the program. I mean, we built life-lasting relationships. And we had – and it's still – I'm biased. I still believe that we had the best class best cohort class that ever went through that program. We were incredibly close. I could not agree with you more. And anybody that disagrees uh, is wrong. <laughs> simply put. Simply, <laughs> simply put. Let's not beat around the bush on, on, on that one. But yes, the, the TCU EMBA program is single-handedly probably the most transformative experience I've had uh, in my career. As I said, you've got an opportunity to be with like-minded individuals, to learn from each other, to learn from some of the best faculty in the world. Uh, and bond, you know, I think as, as you put, you know, make these lifelong friendships that you probably wouldn't get with another, you know, kind of program, another school, uh, doesn't have that kind of personal feel, you know, the, the tagline they, they were using is that real personal and connected very much. So, you know, every single peer person that was in our cohort, we still talk with, we still do things with, you have that ability to call them out of the blue and go, I've got a question or I need help, or can you provide this? And without a doubt, they jump at the occasion. You can't get that at a lot of places. No, oh, man. And, and, you know, and the other part that I, I really enjoyed about the program is it was, it was designed for executives that you weren't in your 20s, right? I mean, everybody was, you know, I, I think the – actually, I think you were the youngest – in there when we were going through, right? I was one of the younger ones. I think there was yeah. a couple of couple of people that were a little bit younger than me. Yeah. But you were definitely, kids, were you, what were you, 30, 35? Something right around around there. It seems like forever ago. But yeah, yeah. right around 35 or so, which was intimidating in itself. You know, Clint was the oldest and he was 50-something. You know, I didn't think they kept keeping count of age at that, yeah. uh, you know, for, for him. <laughs> but, that was the, uh, but that was the beauty. But that was, you had this range of mid-30s to mid-50s. And folks that have done all some multiple careers, some just climbing through the ranks, you know, very high level folks, 
And I remember sitting there going, how in the hell did I get into this thing? I think everybody was thinking that, you know. How you did Span get into this thing? How did Span, how did Span get, get, get into that? You know, but a, 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 a very powerful teacher that we had was a, was a gentleman by the name of Rob Rhodes. And one of the first lectures he gave at, at the you know, kind of the opening uh, ceremonies, reception, was that kind of check yourself at the door. You know, whether it's ego, whether it's expertise, you know, come with an open mind, come willing to learn. And if you're not willing to do that, now is the time to leave and save spending, you know, kind of a small fortune on this education. And I think that hit home for a lot of people. You know, you had people that were, you know, high level executives, C-suite, you know, type executives, entrepreneurs, small business owners, consultants, everything in between with different experiences, different ages and whatnot. So I think it helped people feel comfortable that, okay. We're kind of starting on a blank page with everybody. Everybody's coming here, here knowing that they can learn something from somebody as well as give back to something with somebody else. And, uh, you know, and, you know, two, two kind of key moments that really popped through my head was, I mean, I mean, hey, it's not enough to just go ahead and have a career and you're doing a full-time MBA program and you got a family and bills and everything else. It's like, hey, let's start a nonprofit in the middle of this. And that's where, you know, in, in the program, we had our first Cowtown Warriors ball and, and that couldn't have happened without the support of our class coming together and donating to the cause. And it was just, man, it was just, that's, that's the, the caliber of folks that cared in doing that. And then fast forward six months later, we're all down in South America together doing our global mm -hmm. portion of this where, there is a Ritz Carlton in Santiago, <laughs> Chile, that we tore their bar up so bad <laughs> that the next year when the next class was going back, the Ritz Carlton said, "You're you're not we're not doing that again." And, I, and <laughs> I think you know anywhere you go, you need to make a lasting impression. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, whether good or bad. That way, they know you were there, or right. or, or had an impact, or 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 or, 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 or changed something, uh, and I think we did that. It was really funny because you, you know, it, because everybody really truly got a chance to cut loose because everybody's being so responsible all the time. Where now the folks that were the quietest in the class were the most outrageous. You know, it was just hilarious to watch. It, it gave people an opportunity to let their guards down. You know, too many times, you know, whether it's in business, whether it's in life, whether it's, you know, with schools or what, you, know, you keep a, a, a wall up, a guard. What are people really going to think of me? How are they going to react if I do this or if I say this or whatever that, that, that may be? And when you take a group of people and you tell them you're allowed to be yourself, you know, with no you know constraints, no worries, no repercussions, you really get a chance to, to know, know them, learn about them, and make those bonding connections. And it was funny because, you know, for the audience, several of us went down early, right, to tune it up and party it up for the rest of the class got down there a couple of days. And then some of us even stayed an extra day or two after it had all ended uh, when we were in Lima, Peru. And it was funny is when Colin, who who knew that that guy could dance, right? Like, I mean, it, it surprised me. Pharmaceutical key executive, and I mean, it was like this guy's a professional dancer. <laughs> and I remember we were at this club, and and there was quite a bit of alcohol that was involved. And there is this tall balcony, <laughs> and he looked at us, and he goes, "I'm going to jump off that," <laughs> and he goes, "Y'all catch me." 
and, and Regal was like, what, huh? And then he climbs up on the rail and the fog machine goes off at the same time. And then all you see is him swan dive through the fog mm-hmm. and we caught him. We didn't know we were going to catch. We were like, oh, crap. <laughs> and, we got him. and he was like, yeah, it goes back to dancing. And then, of course, the bouncers over there going, y'all can't do that. But it was just, it was just, you know, all the little things that were funny. And then even coming back, you know, our, our, you know, so the class is every other weekend, Friday, Saturday, eight to five, is then we pretty much decided to support another local business, Buffalo Bros. And they, matter of fact, it was really funny is after we graduated and we all, so we graduated in December of 2014, right? And then I think we all, a bunch of us all got together a couple months later to go, hey, let's go hit Buffalo Bros, have a, you know, just go see each other. And Brandon, who is the manager, comes up and was like, literally, when y'all graduated, we had a 20% dip in sales. <laughs> he was did. like, man, y'all really, y'all really spent a lot of money in here. <laughs> we took advantage of the resources uh, in places that were available to us. That's and, it. Uh, that's it. That's and I it. think that's that's the case in any, anything. You have to have that place yeah. where you can take a break from work, where you can take a break from school. You can take a break from your life and just shoot the shit. To yeah. have fun, yeah. to, to commiserate yeah. with others, to celebrate with others. And for us, that was Belfield Brothers. Now, for others, it could be somewhere else. And, you know, but I look back at those times, some of the fondest memories I've ever had and will ever, uh, will, will ever keep. Oh, yeah. And then, so we graduate and you decide to stay with TCU. Tell us about that. Uh, you know, TCU is expensive. And, and uh, uh, when they gave me the opportunity to quote unquote earn my earn my tuition back, I jumped at the occasion. <laughs> Prior to that, you know, you know, kind of before starting at, at at TCU, I'd been in consulting and helping small businesses and entrepreneurs with their back end uh, kind of process and service. It's hard to do marketing, IT, sales, legal networking, everything along those lines, especially if you're trying to raise capital, trying to uh, beta test your product, trying to get market traction. What I was finding was that lots of entrepreneurs didn't take into those back-end accounts into fruition. So they needed somebody uh, kind of act as that general contractor. Uh, Let me take care of all of this for you and give you one invoice at the end of the month of all your Necessary things you didn't even think you needed to do. They've been vetted. They've been you know you know, processed. Everything was, and let the founders and you know entrepreneurs that you know the the owners really focus on what they were passionate about, and that was their business. So doing that, I was given the opportunity through the Neely Entrepreneurship Institute, and asked the question: Can what you're doing for businesses in Fort Worth, can you do for our students? Can you help run our programs to give them a leg up? In particular, can you run this you know, competition that we have that's called Values and Ventures that, that looks to find purpose and profit? Uh, I, of course, said yes, and I'll work to make sure it's the best one in the world. So tell us about it. So what, what, what exactly does the program do? Okay. Um, the Values and Ventures competition was started in 2011. Right at the kind of the forefront or beginning of the kind of triple bottom line or, you know, how do you kind of do good as well as doing well? Uh, you know, Guy Kawasaki, you know, very famous uh, entrepreneur with Apple and Canva and, and various others, has a mantra 
that says if you go into business just to make money, you probably will. But if you go into business to make meaning, you will also make money and probably more. This is, no, this is exemplified even further with the Tom Shoes models. Everybody's heard of Tom Shoes, the one for one. We're going to give you a product. And if you buy that, we're also going to give it to somebody in need. You're willing to pay a little bit extra for a pair of shoes, knowing there's a good story behind it, knowing that it's helping somebody else out. So right around this time, we at TCU thought, wait a minute, why aren't we showcasing and teaching students that this is the right way to type of do business, that there's a better way to do it? And we looked around the entrepreneurial landscapes of universities and found nobody else was doing this. There were, you know, a bunch of competitions for MBA levels, for, you know, doctoral students, for entrepreneurs in, in general. You send an 18, 19-year-old kid to one of those competitions to try to win some startup capital, some mentoring, some feedback. Frankly, they're going to be outgunned. They're going to be intimidated. They're going to be embarrassed and probably dejected and not want to be an entrepreneur anymore. How is we as educators can live with ourselves doing that? So we thought if no one else is doing it, let's be entrepreneurial and do it ourselves. And so through the help of two you know, amazing women in, in Dallas, uh, Nancy Richards and Lisa Barentines, along with Dean Homer Erickson at the time and, and some faculty, came up with the idea of Values Adventures, a, a strictly for-profit business competition where values, you know, what are you doing with your business to help a community, your region, the world be better, not just in it to make money. We weren't sure people would like this. And in fact, we only started with six schools in that first, that first year and gave away about $15,000 in, in cash. The, the very first winner dealt with recycling mattresses and employing homeless within Nashville, Tennessee. Wow. Who would have thought that there's actually a business with that and a very successful one at that? Fast forward, you know, 12 years, and we've helped over 3,000 entrepreneurs from 17 countries, 42 states, four continents, all launch their businesses. In fact, our track record is amazing. Of the 405 ventures that have come, and, and I say ventures because they're beyond ideas, they've come from 184 different universities around the world. Wow. So we're having these, these impact points with all these different universities, all these different students. Uh, you know, so of those 405, 186 have gone on to launch and remain operational after year one. It's one thing to say, I'm going to make a website or I'm just going to launch my business. And then six months later, you go, ah, didn't work. But to remain operational and revenue generating after year one with about a 40% success rate, it's pretty incredible when you think about how many businesses fail in that first year. Uh, all with these businesses, you know, kind of looking to change the world. So no matter what your thoughts politically may be or the you know, economic climate or anything along those lines, it's refreshing to know that they're the next generation of leaders are alive and well, that they're they're succeeding, they're coming up with ideas, that they're improving their communities, their resources, their themselves. It's pretty inspiring. And as I as I mentioned, you know, my goal when I started, you know, at, at TCU and was was tasked with was how do you raise this from a kind of regional competition to one of the best in the world? Well, you find you know, students, you find success stories, you find reasons for them to be engaged and involved. And I'm happy to say right now, uh, the Values and Mentors competition at TCU is the number one ranked undergraduate business plan competition in the United States uh, and the number two overall 
competition, graduate and undergraduate, only behind some little known school called MIT. I don't, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, but we're, we're, we're looking to get after them. We've also been awarded as the top program in the world for venture creation by university-backed system. So there is power with entrepreneurship dealing with value-centered businesses. And what is that fifteen grand prize grown to currently? Uh, currently, uh, the it wasn't the fifteen grand first prize. That was our total prize amount. Now, total, total prize amount. Total prize amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now we'll give away close to about a quarter million dollars in cash and prizes to winning teams from from around the world. All told, in the last ten years or so, we've given given away a shade over two million dollars uh, in cash and in kind awards to teams from around the world. All of which, you know, every single one of the, and we're proud of, all, every single one of the teams that has won has gone on to launch their business and be, been successful uh, in one way, shape, or form. Man, that is, and that really, uh, that really touches my heart because one of the things that I learned when you and I were, were doing our MBAs was I was in the wrong role. And I don't mean just like position, like I was in the wrong industry. Because, you know, after getting out of the Marine Corps, I tried to stay with what was known, what was comfortable, you know. But, you know, coming from, you know, my background of what I did in the Marine Corps, I was really designed to be very comfortable with uncomfortable. And and, I'm, and I remember sitting there, you know, and I'd always had that entrepreneur drive, you know, because at the time, you know, I had old school pizza tavern. And because we talk a lot about pizza, especially in Moe's class, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, um, and and the thing that, that really stuck out with me was, one, one, a couple of things, especially when they do the 360 on you and they interview your bosses, your subordinates, your customers, your whoever, right? And, uh, and mine came back, uh, you know, with, you know, they dropped the cat, you know, you have four, you have 25 competencies, and they fall into one of four categories. The oh yeah, you know, I knew I was good at that, and yeah, I knew I wasn't good at that. And wow, people think I'm good at that. I didn't think I was good at that. And then the clearly, I'm proud of myself, but not everybody else thinks so right. category, <laughs> right? But what it did is it it helped me realize a couple of things. Is one, I'm really a bad employee. Like I'm really, and especially now, fast forward many years later. I, matter of fact, we were joking around. We were having the span group Christmas party. Last night, and uh, um, and, <laughs> and 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 I was sitting there joking around with my father-in-law. As I said, uh, I said, "Yeah, I, I am. I am absolutely unemployable at this <laughs> point." And he goes, "Yeah, because no one in their right mind would want to deal with you, <laughs> right?" And and it made sense understanding that because, you know, even when I was with the PD, I changed units every two years because I was always trying to find search. And I would think that, hey, if I go try this unit, maybe I'll find it there. And then what I was doing, it's like a dog chasing its tail, right? I was just going nowhere real quick. You know, even though I was elevating through the ranks, I was on, you know, the track to, you know, be one of the highest ranking officers with the department. And then, and I thought, man, this is, this is not where I'm supposed to be. But the other thing that it unlocked, like, and this is what I love about the Values Ventures, is things with meaning. So then I got to meet an alumni of the program that we will leave unnamed and, you know, being a retired Marine and I was all ate up with him and he was like, yeah, we're going to change lives. Spoke my love language and recruited me into it, dropped papers, left the, left the PD 
and went there with the intention of we're going to do things different. And he did a very good facade of that, right? And that's exactly what it was, was smoke and mirrors, because as it turns out, him and the COO, his little buddy, as I like to call him, because <laughs> he's not little, uh, is, um, uh, he, <laughs> he, you know, turns out it was all BS, right? And, uh, man, when you got the SEC knocking on your door, that's when you know it's not only going to be miserable, but it's going to get expensive, <laughs> To find things out about the company that I had no idea. And by the way, by the time the SEC had knocked on my door was months after I'd left the company. And I didn't leave the company because I thought anything bad was going on with the books is because the culture they promised Mm -hmm. was not the culture they were delivering. And I just said, this is not what I signed up for. And so – now you got an SEC investigation, you got a lot of lawsuits, and I went from having a a lot of money to having no money. And I mean, literally, snap of a finger that quick. I mean, you you remember this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it was, you know, you know, my net worth dropped from seven figures down to about, I think it was like five figures, you know, real quick. And, and I will never forget, and I've talked about this on several episodes, is sitting there in my kitchen when I had the house on Fox Hollow, the big fancy house with the fancy <laughs> cars, you know, in the yeah. fancy neighborhood and the very expensive property taxes, by the way. It's dropping like 25 grand a year on property taxes. Yeah, it was, it was, it was hefty. And I'm sitting there in my kitchen looking at my $300 electric bill going, how in the hell am I going to pay that? And if I can't pay a $300 electric bill, that's really the least of my concerns because I'd also come to find out because I trust these guys so much that lo and behold, I was holding the bag for 4 million in assets. And guess what? It was capital call time. And the only person on that document, because I thought others had signed the document too, because that's why I was at the meeting was (laughs) nope, (laughs) music stopped playing and you're the one left without the chair. Mm And so I have people that will often – so like even in my EO forum, uh, it's an entrepreneur's organization, and, and I've, I've been a forum of some titans. I mean, these guys, I mean, they are, they are impressive. And, uh, and, you know, we're talking about regrets, and I've never been a person of regret, mm-hmm. right? I think it's hard to move forward if you're looking backward. Mm-hmm. And so I've had a lot of people come up and go, man, I wish you could change that experience. And I go – the only thing I wish I could have changed was what my family went through because of that experience. But that very painful episode allowed me to go, time to do things different. You know, you bring that up and, you know, I'm glad you did, you know, for, for the simple fact of, you know, you ask a lot of people with the with these podcasts and shows, you know, what's something you would tell your 18, 20 year old or like that. And one of the notes I put on there was about regret and not to have any that if you look back and go, I wish I had done this. Gosh, I wish I had invested in, you know, Amazon or I wish I'd zigged instead of zagged. You'll always be, be questioned. You know, the important thing is to make that decision that is right for you at the time. And then don't look back. Go full force into it. And if you have to pivot and change down the road, that's fine. All roads lead to where you are, you know, now. So not having those types of, types of regrets. Yes, that was, you know, a, a learning experience. You know, for, for you know, for you, I remember you you talking with with me and others about that experience and kind of following along with it. And as just you know, disasters as it turned out to be, you know, for you know, the company and maybe your <clears throat> um, ego or, or or passions or hopes, it also led to new avenues for you. 
you know, to to being highly successful in real estate, to having winning strategies playbook, to you know, kind of growing your you know, kind of the, your name and brand for the Span Group around the world. How would that have happened if you hadn't done, you know, uh, the, taking that opportunity after, after after the police department? If you second guess that, or gosh, I wish I hadn't put my family through that, or you know, they were on board at the time. They they support, it. and that's what's great about family, about teams, about 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 your networks is they're going to support you. Whether or not it's a you know ends up being the right decision or not, they're there for you. Uh, you and having those that that support group, that 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 network, that you know unwavering you know dedication to if that's what you're doing, I'm right there behind you. You know it's exemplified in the Marine Corps. It was exemplified the EMBA program at TCU. It's exemplified with you know entrepreneurs and their uh, small businesses, their founding teams. That here's people that will support me unwaveringly, and that's what you need. Yeah, and it, and, and 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 it's so right about meaning and dropping ego right <clears throat> so i carried a lot of ego when i was with mm-hmm. xyz company and uh and that and i had learned hey you 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 got you got to shelf that ego right and um and so laura you know at the time she had a year earlier she and her mom had sold her real estate company to sotheby's but agreed to stay on for two years managing and laura said well you know why don't you get a license and come help me out and i, I mean she literally drug it drug me into mm-hmm. it kicking and screaming because after this last most recent experience i was like i don't want anything to do with real estate ever again and she said hey bubba you're getting a license you're gonna come help me and i did and uh, so i got licensed um in the end of september 2016 and 90 days later, at the end of December of 2016, I told her, I said, we're going to be, give me 24 months. We're going to be number one in this company. And it wasn't for anything other than we're going to do this better because the client deserves it. Because let's face it, just because you get a, I mean, look, any, any fool can get a real estate license. And trust me, there's a lot of fools out there, right? Or as I like to make jokes, I was like, man, look, ex-strippers are selling real estate, right? I mean, anybody can do it. Hell, it's a fill-in-the-blank form, right? I mean, you, you don't even have to write the contract. You just fill in the blanks, right? And um, But I was like, clients deserve more. And that's when I came up with the Span Group core values. The first core value, this is going to sound real familiar, can we learned this in the program, was the value exchange and what that meant. And as long as we had the value exchange, that would unlock the second core value, which was the value proposition which is the client's money would always be more important than our money. And two years later, in the end of 2018, we were number one in the company. And again, and again, and we're getting ready to be number one again, except now we're in the top 1% of producers in the U.S. Because then we started growing the team and adding the right people, taking a lot of time to hire very slow, but to hire right. And everything was about culture. Everything was about team. And then, um, three, little over three years ago, you know, cause I never thought I, I, I'd never, I'd never wanted to take another investor's check ever again mm-hmm. after that experience with XYZ company. Um, but then I was like, man, I can, I can do this better. And so I found an investor that allowed us to invest in eight properties mm-hmm. and we did do it better. Not only growing the top line, but growing it for the tenants. Right. And then now, uh, fast forward to this last April when we had 12 months of data to be able to go, we're doing it better. The right people were in the right room. And they said, how about we give you a fund and you can go, go, go grow this thing. 
So in the last six months, and I've been a ghost. I mean, man, nobody's seen me because, man, because as it turns out, when people give you a lot of money, they're not like, hey, just let me know how that goes. I mean, they got their hands so far up my butt, I feel like a ventriloquist <laughs> puppet at this point, answering a lot of questions and compliance for good, for good reason. But in less than six months, we went from – actually, it was – so the talk started in April. Then we – then we started putting it in action in July, and then by August we got cooking, and we went from eight to twenty-six. And by March we'll be at fifty. By midsummer we'll be at a hundred, and by this time next year we'll be at one hundred and fifty units. Because how we were going to do that was by you know just because you buy an asset, you now got to put a tenant in mm-hmm. it. And what makes us different from everybody else is we tell tenants. Our core values is that all of y'all are going to fight to get into one of our properties and you're going to be sad when one day you have to leave. And and the tenants love it, especially tenants that are coming from other landlords' properties, right? Or when we make an acquisition where it's already got tenants in it and they're telling me, you've done more in five minutes than my last person did in the last five months, right? And then – you know, because I didn't have enough going on there, is my maintenance guy decided to go ahead because you got to do maintenance. I mean, look, it's an asset. There's always things going wrong, and you got college kids living in these properties, mm-hmm. so you know something's going to go wrong. Like, I mean, no kidding. We're gonna fix the toilet because when y'all were throwing a party, you wanted to f- see if you could flush a squirrel down it. Not a dead one either. Like, come on, guys. I'm you impressed know. they caught a squirrel. Oh, man. Like, I mean, it was impressive, right? There's captive minds, right? Yeah. Captive minds. So I was like, you know what? I, I need a maintenance company, but I need a maintenance company that's going to be built right. And so I had an old Marine Corps buddy. He retired four years ago. Uh, you know, he's been on the show, Eric Kazmaier, not only a recon Marine, but a MARSOC Marine. And, uh, and I said, Hey, I called him up. Cause this was, this was, this was August. This was August 8th, actually. And I called him and I said, Hey, are you working anywhere right now? And he goes, no, nah, I'm kind of in transition, you know, looking for the next thing. And I said, uh, you want to build a company? And he goes, man, if I get to do it with you, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And I said, but we're going to do it better than everybody else. We're, we're, we're going to get to a point that we can predict the needs of the tenants. So they don't even have to ask. And we're going to do it that much better. So we started that company. Uh, we got it up and running by the end of September. And we had our – and we've grown it in 90 days. And so we had our little Christmas party because it's called Stacks Property Services. And no surprise that the logo looks very much like the Raider Battalion's <laughs> patch, right? You know, Coincidence, uh, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, hey, man, why, why be creative when you can pretty much copy something else, right? And then so when we were having dinner Monday night, uh, because we went into a bottleneck, right? Because not only were we building a new company, but we grew from eight assets to massive acquisition, literally buying a million dollars worth of properties a week, right? Which is a heavy pace because how you do eight and how you do 26 overnight, much different. So you got to evolve. You got to change. You got to pivot. You got to do all these things. But when we were sitting together on Monday, I was like, hey, I know everybody's been working their tails off, but by the way flipped around QuickBooks. I was like, we are $62,000 profitable in the first 90 days. And you working with these entrepreneurs, it's not often that companies are profitable in the first couple of years, but to be profitable in the first 90 days, 
and and I had even, I, you know, Kaz and I were sitting there talking. I said, this is not about the technicalities of things. Business has been done business for million of years, right? And, you know, the, the how-tos and the what-tos and all that, those, that, that, that's not the hard part. I said, when you transition from being an employee to an employer mm-hmm. by being a business owner, you have to change your mindset. And I said, the faster you can change your mindset, I said, this thing will grow. So it started off with, okay, we're doing maintenance on these properties to, oh, we're doing maintenance on other properties. And people that are trying to get their houses ready for sale need some maintenance things done to get it ready for sale. Or people that have just bought a house need some maintenance things done to the house to even now doing staging. So when somebody's trying to sell their house, but it's vacant and they need some staging to where now not only are tenants like Tom's Shoes paying significantly more to be in our properties. Mm -hmm. Like if you call... The average market price per head of eight fifty, ours are paying over a thousand. And not only that is now not only are they paying more to be in our properties because we take better care of them, but even the new tenants that are going to move in, Kaz's wife is designing them for them, where we're furnishing them and they pay stacks for the furnishings, right? So you're doing all this, adding all these layers to where this business is not what it was 90 days ago, it's significantly different. So when we were sitting here Monday, I said, if you think this thing looks different in the first 90 days, wait for a year from now. And, uh, and I said, because if you focus on doing business the right way and making it meaningful, the money, money always follows. You know, a lot to unwrap and talk about, about there, but no, I couldn't agree with you more. I think one of the things that you, you, you mentioned that, Strikes home that's that we ingrain in, in, in not only our students but students around around the world, as well as you know, you know businesses that I work with is you cannot. It's it's harder to add a value proposition to a company as a bo- as opposed to start a company with your value proposition, your core values. People always see through the we're X Y Z company and we'll give three percent to. Pick a charity. You know, type, yeah, we're doing great in the community. And they are. And that's fantastic. As opposed to the company that says, this is who we are. This is why we do it. And this is who we do it for. And those types of companies that have those value propositions, those core values ingrained at the start, will inevitably make more money, be more successful, will attract the type of talent, uh, whether it's investors, whether it's employees, whether it's co-owners, whatever that may be. Because they want to be part of something better. They want to be something greater than. Uh, most businesses today are not new ideas. You know, they're not the newfangled iPhone, you know, type thing. It's taking a property management company. Oh, how could we do this better? Let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's make the wheel better. Oh, okay. Let's do that. And I think a lot of times people, you know, entrepreneurs get in that mindset. I don't have an idea. I don't have anything new like that. You don't have to. Find something that's not working well or that's uh, not up to your standards and fix it. Hell, do it better. Even in that is you don't even have to make it better. Just make it suck less than everybody else's, right? (laughs) Very much so. People respond to that. They'll pay that that premium. Go, gosh, I want to go with with this group and I'll pay more because I'm I'm behind what they – you know, they stand for, here's the results I'm getting because of that. It's, it's worth an extra 
hundred bucks, two hundred dollars, or you know, for TCU students or whatever that may may be, or your tents, you know, a five bedroom house, an extra grand in, uh, you know, in rent. It's worth it because of uh, this value add that we're getting from from the company. You don't see that that a lot. And those that you do see it from are the ones that are more successful, are the ones that can continue to grow and be successful and pivot. Go, ah, all right, we got that down. What else can we do? How else can we improve our own model? What we thought was an improvement 90 days ago, we can improve further. And that's how you get innovation. That's how you get new creativity. That's how you get new ideas that are game changers, that are revolutionary, that, that change the entire spectrum of business. And I knew for certain – and I know the exact time portion when you and I were doing our MBAs that I wanted to be innovated and an entrepreneur mm-hmm. because there was another smiler in the picture <laughs> that taught a certain part of the program, which was the entrepreneur portion of our of our program after it was like after the first 90 days, it was the second 90 days, if I remember correctly. And um, and that that's i mean your dad how he even did his verbal resume mm-hmm. right and it was just mind blowing how is your dad doing uh, he's doing excellent you know they're kind of enjoying the grandparent life and uh fishing and spending time in colorado and here in fort worth and uh you know you know getting the fruits of all their hard work and labor still you know writing you know uh you know, hopefully with a new book coming out, you know, for him as well as consulting and speaking and uh, so keeping busy. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And it's, man, one of the things that I did not anticipate was when I was going to take a fund and grow it and then have, you know, the span group still operating and growing and then building a maintenance company was I didn't realize how much sleep I was not going to get over what has been the last 90 days, right? Because if you truly believe in something, you got to be willing to sacrifice for it. Uh, along those lines, you know, and I, yes, I agree. You know, George Bernard Shaw, the famous poet and, and, and uh, has one of my favorite quotes of all time. It says, the true joy in life is being used for a purpose recognized by oneself as a mighty one. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. If what you're doing is your passion and you and it's your mighty purpose, then you will find ways to make it happen, to see it grow, to excel. If it's not your mighty purpose, that's okay. It can be somebody else's. And how we as entrepreneurs, as educators, as connectors, as networkers, as colleagues, as friends, as family, how can we support each other's mighty purposes? Whether that's time, effort, treasure, talent, whatever that may be, I think if more people support each other's mighty purposes, then you're going to see a lot more success that I think too many times people are, I'm just going to work for this company because, well, it's a job. And everybody has taken those jobs or those careers, but they're not behind it. And you see that as an, in an employee relationship, that they're not as motivated. They're not as engaged. They're punching a clock. They're coming in eight to five and then they're gone. They don't want to do things outside of hours. But if they're there in support of your mighty purpose or it aligns with their mighty purpose, then you'll see that engagement, that you'll see that dedication. You'll see that willingness to do more. How can we push the envelope? Because it aligns not only with what you're doing, but what they're doing uh, you know, as, as well. For me, my purpose is helping others achieve theirs. Wow. 
what better way in life to 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 help others, whether it's entrepreneurial aspirations, whether it's getting into grad school, whether it's just helping somebody, you know, uh, learn to ride a bike. That was my daughter's mighty purpose. You know, where, do you, where do you think that drive comes from for you? I think it partly comes from my father. You know, you, you grow up with, a, you know, kind of a, a, a titan in the entrepreneurial education and, and discipline. You kind of get built into that anything is possible if you're passionate about it and that it resonates with you. And if it's not something you want to do, don't do it. You know, that I think too many times people keep doing something, even though they don't want to, because it it's a paycheck or it's a means to an end or it's something that uh, they were told they needed to do. To do, or this is just how life is done. Well, no, there's a different way to think about it. And getting outside that mold and thinking, gosh, what's important to me? Not what's important to, you know, uh, family, not so important to friends or, you know, coworkers, but what's important to me? And am I doing that on a daily basis? Man, that is, that is just good stuff. Tell me, tell me about some of these, uh, uh, pro, you know, the, the, the businesses that have come through. Uh, since you've been running that, that is sure. Good. Yeah, uh, one that I that I love because it's unconventional is is with the one that won this last year's competition in twenty twenty. Uh, you know, one they came from Clarkson University, which is kind of in upstate uh, New York. They found and they that concrete is incredibly expensive, uh, and the additive in concrete is cement. You know, the, it mixes with the rocks and the sand and all that kind of kind of stuff to make concrete harder. They thought, what if we can make cement cheaper? And how do we do that? Well, what if we get a landfill to pay us to take all their glass? And then we use that recycled glass that can't be recycled anyway, and we make a new additive with cement. So they were able to do that and create a new concrete that is stronger, more chemically resistant, and cheaper than current cement and concrete out there. So you have a blue-collar type job that no one else thought of. Going into a, a landfill going, gosh, what resources are here in this dump that we can utilize to our advantage and get paid to utilize? So they have a two, two-way revenue model. They, take, they get paid to take the, the recyclable glass out or the non-recyclable glass out, and they get paid by home, builder, you know, uh, you know, home builders, departments of transportation to sell their cement to. Wow. So you don't have to be, you know, a tech entrepreneur, which I think a lot of people associate entrepreneurs in the tech business. Oh, you have to have an app or a software or be a coder or something along the No, here's a blue-collar company and blue-collar guys that came up with an idea of how can we make something sustainable that gives a value. Well, let's make houses and streets and, you know, get stronger and cheaper for people, especially in a housing boom when prices are driving people out of the opportunity to, 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 to build houses. Then you have companies that you realized that, you know, organs, you know, when they have to be you know, transplanted into somebody else, there is a finite amount of time that they are available before they have to be discarded, and discarded not making it to, to their end goal. What if there was an easier way to track and, and deliver those organs when they become available to patients that, that need them? So create, you know, a company out of, uh, out of Iowa created a software platform based on his own experiences of needing an organ transplant to uh, systematically make it easier to find out who the closest uh, uh, recipient is, what hospital they, they can be at, uh, and how long it takes to get there. So it gets rid of, you know, I think, you know, 40% of unused organs. Wow. 
18, 19-year-old kid coming up with, 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 with these ideas. You have somebody that, that, that was dealing with multiple sclerosis and, and uh, other neurological diseases didn't have access to anything on Amazon. You know, where are the, where are the process, you know, uh, uh, products for, for them? Created a website, an Amazon-ish type website for people with neurological disabilities that need those types of supplies with reviews and product placements and everything. Along. <sighs> Incredible. You know, all of these companies have an idea that's affecting them. How can I make my life better? And in so doing, make those around me better. As opposed to, gosh, I have an idea that can make a lot of money. It starts on the reverse side of things. How can I make somebody else's life better? And here's ways I'm, I'm going to do it. My favorite one dealt with kind of a reverse ATM machine. What they had found, uh, and I encourage any of the listeners and watchers uh, in, the, in, in the community, look for yourselves. In the inner cities, the barrios, the ghettos, whatever that may be, there are no banks. There are uh, there are, there are Western unions, there are check cashing places, there are uh, quick loan places, all for, for people. So people in these communities do not put any of their paychecks, any monies they make into a bank because they're not readily available. What happens when a uh, utility outage goes? They've got to pay their bill and their power goes off. And it's a Saturday and they have an infant that needs to have warm bottle of milk or need to have heat in the house, but don't have any way to pay uh, their utility because it's a Saturday. They have to wait till Monday, hop on a bus, go down, to, go downtown. Uh, so they created kind of an ATM machine that could go into convenience stores, to barrios, to to bodegas, where people could go into these stops, in, you know, insert cash or check or whatever they would have, and automatically pay their utility bill on the spot any day of the week. <sighs> Novel, incredible that they've come up with these type types of ideas. So you have examples along along those lines of successful ones, but there's been plenty of that have, have failed as well, and that's okay. Part of the journey of an entrepreneur is failing, is finding those mistakes, is learning from those mistakes. Uh, businesses are going to be, you know, get competition. You're going to overreach your bounds as you put, you know, that's you know, with your you know, kind of you have investors now. Well, when investors get involved. Who's actually pulling the strings? What are the decisions that are be, being made? What are the priorities you know, type, type of thing? So you see companies that have come through the values measures that have all those issues. And it's not necessarily maybe they don't start the business they brought to TCU or uh, had envisioned this, but got some feedback, got to connect with another student from you know the United Kingdom or a CEO of a company and go, ah, we kind of like what you're doing, but we need to pivot that. Are you interested in having a partner or changing this up? And those that say yes and will find a way to make it more successful are the ones that do. So that is, wow. I mean, especially this concrete thing, right? Mm -hmm. A very non-sexy thing that every human needs, yeah. right? Because, look, concrete goes into everything. They're on the roads. They're on the sidewalks. In your retail stores, your houses, everything. And to be able to do it better and more cost effective. That is wow. That is that's so. So walk me through what is it? How, how does it, how does a, a student who has an idea how how do they learn about uh, your program? Right through a lot of hard work on our on our behalf. You know? <laughs> you I know, mean, it's not magic. It's not not magic. I wish I could just you know a magic eight ball and, 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 and go up there. You know. As with anything, it's marketing, it's branding, it's 
you know, boots on the ground. It's, uh, you know, going to, to, to conferences. It's going and you know, speaking at universities. It's making phone calls. It's sending emails. It's uh, getting on top of mind. I think, though, you know, you know, and that was great. And that's what we need to do to get to the point we are now. Uh, now that we're kind of where we are rankings-wise, prestigious, you know, prestige-wise, uh, it kind of sells itself, you know, that universities know that if their students want to be successful with their venture, that they have to at least apply for for uh, the competition. You know, this year we're anticipating about 300 different universities from around the world to apply, and then multiple applications from diff- those different universities. We'll take 42. Uh, so a, about one in six, one in seven, maybe get the chance to come to TCU to pitch their idea. How, how do you vet that process? I mean, what is walk me through that process? Walk me through that process. It's a long process, you know. You know, you know, sleepless nights and everything along those lines. In that, we utilize lots of judges and community members. You know, no man is an island. You no know, one can do it alone. And that's certainly the case with 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 this competition, which is kind of a, a flagship of the Neely School as well as 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 TCU. So we'll we'll utilize somewhere between 150 and 200 judges and mentors throughout the course of uh, February and March uh, of this year to review all the applications, the the executive summaries, the business plans, the elevator pitches that these students and teams and ventures from around the world put forth and, you know, kind of uh, codify it and, and rank them using rubrics as well as that gut feeling, that, that moxie of, gosh, there's just something about this team or this venture. You know, the, their pitch wasn't that great, but they're on to something. Or vice versa. They had a fantastic pitch and presentation, but there's something missing. You know, that, that something's not adding up right. It's, they want to put somebody on Mars next year. Okay, well, as great as that is, and I, you know, not feasible. So over the course of about a month, we'll, uh, you know, have judges and mentors help weed out or, or cull the, the 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 teams and it's a hard decision it's you know it's never easy and it's a hard conversation for me to have back to these these student entrepreneurs because they all come with ideas that they're passionate about their mighty purposes their ideas of how I can make my community my region my city my world better and to be told you have a good idea but it's not going to be moving forward it's hard to hear but I'll tell you what those that hear that and then learn from that feedback and apply the next year are incredibly thankful that, gosh, you're right, I wasn't at that level yet. One thing that we also do to try to help students realize what level they're at is if they get to be kind of one of the top 42 that we invite to, to, to campus, we also have them take part in what we call an investor challenge. What are investors looking for? Uh, how are judges evaluating our information? And can I do it? So in a March Madness style bracket, we let every team evaluate all the other teams and pick who they think the judges will move forward. And so they get an idea of, my presentation wasn't nearly as good as this team's or this school's. I need to work on that for when I do a live pitch. Or our business plan is missing these key aspects. I need to fix that. So they're learning from each other and taking that back to 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 their communities. And what's great is when we do bring the the, the semifinalists, finalists, to campus, as I said, we'll give away about a quarter million dollars in cash in, in, in awards and whatever that may uh, entail. Usually, about fifteen of the forty-two will win some sort of prize. Well, how do you make it valuable to the other thirty, to the other twenty-eight, 
that you have to give them some, whether that's through workshops, whether that's through networking, whether that's through potential other opportunities, so that when they go back to their communities, they go, ah, I didn't win anything, but what I did get is I got the CEO of this hospital card that I can call to get our business in, you know, product in there. I got, I met these other students that we can combine businesses with. So you start building out, you know, opportunities for, for these, these students throughout the course of about a month and a half, two months for them. We're just as our EMBA program was a defining moment for, for us, for, you know, learning opportunities that the Values and Ventures program at TCU is a defining moment for a lot of these students, a validation point. It makes them feel relevant. There are other people that are doing this in the, in the world. I'm not the only one that wants to change the world through, through a business. How else can I, can I improve? What else can I do? How else can I be? And we see those relationships continue to grow year after year with teams and students that have participated, that they remain in contact. They help each other. They're that network that we have. Or, uh, that, that we built over the, the course of, you know, the EMBA program where they call one of their other founders from a, for school. Hey, how did you get your financials done for this? We're kind of going into this sector or did you try this? And they have that one phone call that they can get an answer that they need, need and want. So they come in, you, out of all the applicants, there's 42 and then do they buy their plane tickets or you guys buy the plane tickets? They're responsible for their own travel to Fort Worth. Okay. Once they get to Fort Worth, we try to take care as much as possible for them from their accommodations to most meals and travel uh, for the idea being that you know, we want them to have some skin in the game, their travel to Fort Worth. It's not yeah. just a free vacation to, to, to Fort Worth. But on the flip side, don't want money to be a hindrance for not competing. Ah, I'd love to be involved and engaged, but ah, I, I don't have enough money for a hotel stay. Well, if we can take care of that, uh, help ease that burden. We find that, that it, you you get the more successful option. You get those that you were never expected to be here. From not only the you know the prestigious you know kind of your Harvards, your Yales, your Northwesterns, your TCU's, but also your smaller schools, your Tarleton States, you you, you uh, your Fort Hayes State University. These school schools you don't know. Your Northern Kentucky. Wow. So you get this kind of cross-section of different universities, different experiences, different socioeconomic levels, different education levels, all going up against each other on an even playing field. And I'll tell you what, it's pretty amazing to see, you know, kind of an elite school get the snot kicked out of them by a, you know, smaller, you know, kind of liberal arts school that no one ever gave second thought to. So how many hotel rooms do you end up booking out? Uh, We'll book anywhere from, you know, 140 to 170 hotel rooms. In the same hotel? In the same hotel, each night for three or four nights. Okay. And then, so so you got the 42 that come together, Mm -hmm. right? So you're doing it kind of March Madness. So so you go from 42 to how many? We'll go 42 to kind of a, uh, how we have it broken up is there's, you know, of the 42, there's six flights of seven. Uh, The first place winner in each flight automatically makes the finals, you know, in the competitions. That's six. But because we're entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs get told, no, you're not good enough. You need to tweak this. Come back to me when you're a little bit you know, further along. We need that second opportunity, that second chance. And what do they do if they get that second chance? So the second place or second ranked team in each of these fights gets the opportunity to pitch again later on that afternoon to a different set of judges for the opportunity to move to the finals. So great. You weren't one of the finalists, you know, originally, but... Did we make a mistake? Did the judges just not understand? 
or did you learn something from your feedback that you can improve on your pitch and presentation? And we'll take the top two of those to move on to the final. So then you'll have eight, you know, kind of in the grand finals of the competition, all competing for for some sort of uh, of capital. They're guaranteed if they're top eight, they're guaranteed at least twenty five hundred dollars, and it can go up to about forty or fifty thousand. So then you get down to the final eight. Then how do you how do, how does that get? Because eventually you can't have two first place trophies. You can't right? have two place f- trophies, and I'm glad I don't have to judge. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, you know, those eight will all do kind of full scale, you know, kind of investor presentations to a panel of, you know, extinguished, you know, judges. We've had everybody from, you know, Jeff Hoffman, who's, you know, been a founder of Priceline to Craig Dubitsky, who's done, you know, Hello Products, you know, for toothpaste and John Henry from, you know, Harlem Investments and, uh, you know, Ron Parker, you know, executive, you know, former executive of Pepsi, uh, Sharon Lighty with uh, the vitamin shop. So you have these, you know, you know, titans of industry, you know, uh, that evaluating these these concepts, these ideas, these ventures for the viability. And they have a, you know, kind of rubric and score sheet that they judge and score. And then they kind of huddle up and go, Here, here's how the scores fleshed out. Team A got all this. That everybody else got, oh, yes, but I really like Team C. Yeah, just there was just something about their presentation style. I'm betting on those guys as founders as opposed to that business succeeding. Uh, and then they, so they, they spent about an hour to two hours figuring it all out and then they'll let us know and then we uh, hand out the awards from there. So do you have judges flying in from mm-hmm. this thing as well? We'll have judges from all over the U.S. and the world come in uh, to be on campus for, for this. Our goal is to try to have uh, a industry expert – for each business that comes to uh, campus. So at least there's somebody that can go, I get what they are saying. They're on to something. Do you ever have any of the second place folks that got down to those two for the eight yep. uh, that have made it to win the thing overall? Absolutely. And I think it's actually an advantage uh, because, A, they get a chance to pitch again. They get additional feedback. They... Maybe we're, we talked earlier about a little ego a little bit. Maybe their ego got knocked down a bit. Ah, I thought I was the best one. They didn't think so. I need to do better. How do I do better? What else do I learn from? That. So I think like with anything, the more you practice, the more you do, the more you learn, the better you're going to end up being. So I think it's actually an advantage, uh, you know, for – you know, kind of the second place team that we, that goes into this lightning round or semifinals uh, to, to pitch again. So do you ever have a situation where a CEO or someone like me goes, hey, calls you up and says, hey, Matt, I mean, you got all these great minds and everything else. I have a need or a void or an issue or, I, man, I just, I can't, I, I, I need somebody with a outsets or, or outside set of eyes to look at this and go, hey, will you float this out to all your folks and see if any of them can like wrap their head around it, maybe come up with a product or a solution or whatnot that end up ultimately coming to the competition where that business owner, CEO, or, or whoever can see, oh, wow, not only did I have an outset set of eyes, but now I get to see this is going. Do you all ever do something like that? Yes. Uh, and one of the ways that it works well is not everybody that's, you know, most of the judges and CEOs and mentors that – Probably didn't go to TCU, but they went to school somewhere. So they're involved with their universities, you know, uh, or alma maters in one way, shape, or form. Well, they'll touch base with their entrepreneurship institutes or departments or business schools and go, gosh, 
I've got an issue with our, our, our company and, and we're trying, you know, we'd love to see this idea developed. Do you have a student team that would like ownership in an idea? Because that's key, you know, that the, st- the students have to have ownership of the you know the business or the product or the idea that, that they're coming with. It's okay if that they're using technology that somebody else developed, but they just can't be somebody else's business that they're coming to to, to pitch you know for. So the you know you'll have judges and mentors kind of help. Go well, here's an idea our company's been floating around. We don't have the time for it. Or universities will say Gosh, this professor developed this technology. Can you find a way to monetize it or make a business out of it? You know, sure they'll they'll do it and they'll. You know, kind of bring that to to uh, the competition uh, type. Of. What we also see is that mentors, judges, community look at all these students. This is the best and brightest of a lot of entrepreneurial, you know, edu- education universities from around the world. Gosh, I need some people like this in my business that need that can think creatively. I don't care for their idea that, much, but I like that person. I like their ideas. I like how they think creative. I like how they entrepreneur. What if I brought them on board as an employee? You talk about culture within your, your businesses and find the right fit. Well, here's an opportunity to find the right fit that they may not even know they need it. Uh, or they just love an idea and go, gosh, they're onto some of that idea. They may not have done well in the competition, but gosh, I'm passionate about this. I'm going to take a flyer and help invest in this business or venture, and I'm going to help mentor them and guide them along the way. Man, and that's just, man, I, I love this, man. This is speaking my love language. <laughs> is um, So one of the things that we're doing um, with the fund and with Stacks is we're allowing tenants to apply to come do internships, mm-hmm. paid internships. Now, they ain't going to get an executive salary, yeah. right? I mean, we're talking 10 bucks an hour. But like right now, I've got one of my, one of my tenants that just stuck out uh, amongst mm-hmm. all of them. And – and just, I am, I think we really knock, in today's society, we really knock on these kids when they're actually incredibly impressive mm-hmm. because they, they, they were, they were born to think different than what you and I, I mean, you and I were not born with these cell phone devices, right? I mean, look, like they weren't even around when we were doing it, right? And then now they were born with it. So they're able to do things faster. So I had this incredibly challenging task because you know me very well <laughs> when i've made up my mind on something you're not changing it right i mean it is going to happen matter of fact I gotta, um so you know i i split my time between here and colorado uh because when i'm here i'm i'm, I'm worn down to the grind like even being back here for the last three weeks you know especially since it's holiday time uh, every night we've had it matter of fact this last three weeks back on this round I hadn't even had dinner at my house one time, right? And people go, oh, wow, poor you. You're going to go out and eat every night. And I'm like, yeah, one man's paradise, another man's prison, right? <laughs> I was like, dude, at some point, I'm just like, I just want a salad. <laughs> and I don't mean one from the restaurant, right? I just want to go buy a bag of lettuce and just sit there and eat it like a rabbit. And um, so I fly back and forth, right? And and and, and so and most of the time when I fly in, um, I either f- catch the early flight, 6 a.m. flight, so that way I can hit the ground here by 9 a.m. and I'm, I'm, I'm in my first meetings by noon over the course of a few days and then fly out because I'm able to be – when people don't have access to me physically, I can actually get things done. It doesn't mean that I'm – you know, and it's really funny is uh, um, um, 
several of the folks that have come up to see me in Colorado, they're like, man, I want to come up and see you. I was like, what we ought to do is you ought to come up and figure out something that's really fun to go do, and we'll have dinner maybe once or twice. Because then they realize, like, dude, you're not working any less up here than you are there. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't have the distractions. So, and what I'll do is if I catch an evening flight, then my team of folks, so, you know, James and Kaz and Eric, you know, big funny theme, you know, everybody's Marines. Like, my longest friend of 40 years, we grew up together, we enlisted in the Marines together um, you know, when he got out of the Marines, he became a, a, a South Lake officer, retired as a, sw- a SWAT sergeant, I believe, and then went on to teach high school where last summer, you know, he was looking for a little side hustle of mowing some lawns. And it was right around the same time that I was doing this fund where next week is his last week of teaching <laughs> because he's coming over to grow his company with us, Right. And so anyhow, so when I fly in on an evening, then what I'll do is I'll have them pick the restaurant that's fairly close to the airport there at DFW, and then we'll, then I'll go. So last month when I flew in, or earlier, or, yeah, it was earlier in uh, November, and we're sitting there, and, you know, because this is where we start to learn, like, how can we do things different? And I told him, I said, the theme for 2022 is, I don't like hearing it's impossible, because mm-hmm. I just don't believe it. So I said, so... When you think something's impossible, is it impossible or just improbable? Okay, it's probably just improbable. Well, if it's improbable, is it improbable or just very difficult? Well, now I'm thinking about it, it's probably just very difficult. And if it's difficult, is there a way to make it less difficult? That is our mindset moving forward. And so one of the incredibly which difficult tasks was my intern – I took it to him and I said, look, if in the next six months you can do this, right? And, and there's a reason I can't say what it is. Um, I said, if you can do this in the next six months, that would be incredible. Matter of fact, you're going to be my intern with the sole job of doing this for the next six months. That son of a gun had it done in six days. Yeah. I was like, I did. he goes, man, you were doing it all wrong. He goes, this is that you're doing it old and antiquated. There's actually a system, you can do this, this, and this. And I was like, well, hot damn. And I says, well, I said, uh, well, now I have to find something else for you to do. <laughs> I told you I'd employ you for six months, and I, now i got to find something else to do. And this kid's creativity that I was like, because I want tenants because they're, they're not, not only not want to give them the opportunity, but they're the ones living in our properties. So they're the ones that are talking to their friends of, hey, my landlord sucks because of this and, and all of this. You know, we want feedback. There is no bad feedback. I try to tell people, you might not like the feedback, but it's never bad feedback. And, and so, so I told Henry, I said, man, we, you know, and I knew he was, mar- you know, he's marketing major. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you together with Jess, who's Kaz's wife, because she's got this design. She's that lady. Just, it is incredible how she can design, right? I mean, if you would have told me that kids would, not only lease a house from us, but, hey, can you – will you meet with us? We tell you what we like, and then you go design it, right? And we'll pay you for it, mm-hmm. right? So I got him and my social media guy together, and I said, I need you to help us grow our brand, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I need us to tell the story. We need to, we need to get better at telling the stories to a wider audience, right? And uh, because the kids on campus, right, they're like, oh, you got to live in the Marines' property, the Marines are going to take care of you, and the parents eat it up, mm-hmm. right? They're like, man, you you guys are going to make sure my kids are safe, right? 
And I I have to tell these parents too, I'm not just an owner landlord, but I'm also on the other side of the the perspective because I have a kid who's a sophomore at college and I'm going through the same thing you're going through. How do we make it better? How do we create that trust Mm -hmm. and all that? So now Henry is doing that, you know, which is really funny because what I think a lot of people don't realize is they're like, man, you're all over social media. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Me on social media is the younger brother of my college roommate who's a five foot ten black guy out of Nebraska, right? <laughs> I was like, it's not even me. Like, I'll walk into things and be like, that was a great post. I'm like, what the hell did he post? Yeah. <laughs> and so I put Henry there. And then it, it, it evolved where now Jess doing the design, a set of uh, uh, girls that are, that are just signed a lease to be in one of our properties this summer was like, can we come work with you? Like, we'll intern for free. And Jess was like, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll pay you to intern, mm-hmm. right? So now they're getting that experience because just because you get, a, you know, once you leave college, yeah, your, your resume is still very thin. You're like, grew up, mom and dad's house, yeah. went to high school, my GPA, went to college, major GPA. So now we're given opportunities for people that are paying to be in our properties to put money back in their pro- pocket and to be able to elevate their resumes. Well, then we were like, how do we, how do we, you know, because still, you know, you can't have, you know, more than one first place trophy where somebody gets that. But how do we add value to our tenants? And so we were all sitting around on one of these, you know, flights that come in and we're sitting there eating dinner. And one of the guys was like, I mean, I've, it's really funny. People go, man, you have great ideas. And I'm like, none of them are mine, right? right. <laughs> these, these are all everybody else's. I'm not that original. I can, I can assure you. You know that. <laughs> right? I'm really good at having a vision and executing that vision and then suckering other people to come be a part of it, right? <laughs> That's right. In fact, the running, running joke on Cowtown Warriors uh, – uh, was don't get on an elevator with Span because you're either going to give money or work for free on the <laughs> on the board, right? Um, is um, you know, one of the guys said, um, uh, and, and actually, James Peterson, also an executive MBA, uh, uh, Iraq uh, invasion combat vet, and uh, um, and so he was like, "What if we were able to add to their resume?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, all right. What are you thinking?" And he goes. Well, let's think about this. When they sign a lease, they're signing a contract. Their parents don't sign the leases. They sign the lease. Now it's probably mom and dad paying. But they're signing a contract. And at some point, that contract is up. And like I get, like I said earlier, it's, I want people to fight over being in our properties and sad when they leave. So if they do their part, according to the contract, being a good tenant, paid rent on time, mm-hmm. they didn't destroy the property. They left the property in as good, if not better, condition when they leave the property. Then we will be a referral for them. Mm -hmm. And not only a referral to say you can put us down when you apply to something because I might not, because you can't know hundreds of tenants. I might not know you and your story, but what I can do is I can go, this person signed a legal, legal document and they did everything according to that legal document. They pay rent on time. They left the house in as good, if not better, condition. And not only are we willing to be a referral, but we're going to write a letter of recommendation, right? It'll be kind of a little more of a blank format because we want to present these to our tenants whenever they're leaving is to go, now, when you go enter the workforce, you're going to have to compete with people just like yourselves. Mm -hmm. And if it comes down to you and another candidate, you at least have something they don't have, which is a referral, 
in a letter of recommendation. And, and I was like, man, James, that's a great idea. And what that does is that incentivizes our tenants to hopefully not destroy the yeah. properties, right? And so that's so doing something bigger and better, which none you know none of these other landlords are doing any of that, right? You know, and and I don't even care if they listen to this show and copy yeah. what I'm doing because guess what? You're going to make it better for them, right? So I always tell people like, look, I would love it if other owners and landlords did what we were doing because guess what? It would make it better for the tenants. You do something to make it better for them. And, uh, and so that's been, that's been really, uh, really exciting, not just growing this business, but doing something to make that difference mm-hmm. for them. So if I'm, if I'm 18 year old Jeremy Spann and I've got this entrepreneur bug in my head and, and I've heard about the values and ventures mm-hmm. at TCU, what would you tell me? Like, let's say I don't even have an idea yet. Mm-hmm. Like, I just know that I want to make it to that competition, you know, and then make it to one of the 42, to make it to one of the eight, to make it to maybe even potentially be in number one. What would you tell me as preparation to start that? Uh, just to do it. I mean, I think too many times people are scared of, I've never done this before, or it's not a good idea, or I don't have then I, you know, an idea. I don't know anybody. I guarantee you they do. They don't have to have their own idea. They can be a partner of somebody else's idea and work with it. You can be the Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. You can have one another. You don't have to be the person that develops the widget or that. But the important thing is to take that leap, take that chance, take that opportunity so that five years down the road, a year down the road, 10 years, whatever it may be, you can look back to that moment when you're 18, 19, 20 and going, because I did this, it helped lead me to where I am now. Whether it's starting their own business, whether it's uh, being in a you know kind of high-profile consulting job, whether it's you know being on a blue collar, whether it's being a stay-at-home mom or dad, whatever that may be, they can point back going, "I'm glad I took that opportunity." Maybe it wasn't you know didn't plan out like I wanted it to be, similar to, to when you were leaving the the police force or that, but it was an opportunity that was right at the time. And if you hadn't taken that opportunity. Where would you be now? It's not regret. It's just a different path, uh, choice, and path. So take that leap, that chance, that that op- opportunity, and be humble when you have to ask for help. Everybody needs help. No one can do it by by, by themselves. And anybody that does is lying to you. There's no such thing as a solo entrepreneur. You need somebody else. And when somebody else asks you for help, provide it without expectations. Don't don't be. I'm going to help you if I get. X percent of a company or that you do this for me, just do it. And that's what, you know, helps entrepreneurs grow. So now I'm 19 year old Jeremy Spann and I call you up and I go, Matt, I've got an idea. What would you tell me to do next? First, I would say, tell me about it. What can you tell me in you know 90 seconds about your idea? Oh, you know, too many times I hear, I don't have it done. Well, get that down because everybody wants to. And, you know, college students in particular, every time they go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or summer, they see grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, mom, dad. Everybody wants to know, so what are you doing now? What do you want to do after college? You need to have some sort of 30-second response of here's what I'm doing or here's what I'm working on. So if, if I get a phone call from a student going, I have an idea, great. Tell me about it. I want to know more. And then we can find out how we can explore that idea further, you know, who I can connect you with. Of Great. Jeremy, I've got this great student that talked to me about an idea in the pizza industry. You mind sitting down with them for 
five minutes just to hear their idea and give them your perspective. Or ah, here's somebody in the you know that wants to start this type of business. Oh, I know somebody I can connect with. Maybe I don't have that expertise, and that's fine. But I guarantee you, I know somebody that does. And if I can make that referral and help them along their way to find out if their idea is worth pursuing, why they're 18, 19, don't have a mortgage payment, kids, anything along those lines to take that risk, to take that, you know, that leap of faith, then I've done my job. I've helped them with their mighty purpose. Wow. Wow, man. So Values and Ventures needs people to invest in the program. Correct. Right. So donor, what do you, do you call them? Donors, investors, what do you, what do you, what do you, you know? We will call them whatever they want us to call them. Write <laughs> <laughs> the check, I'll call you King uh, Kong. <laughs> but as, as, as you can probably imagine, it takes a small army in village to put on, you know, kind of a, a large scale program. So we always need people's time, talent, resources, uh, treasure, and what may shape, may form. But what we really need is just people to be engaged and involved, to answer that call, to go, will you help? Yes. That And here's how I can. Gosh, I'm just starting a venture. And I don't have any opportunities to, to find anything. But I can be a judge. I can be a mentor. I can offer an in-kind support. I can offer some, you know, consulting. Great. We need all of, all of that. Because then not only does it help the program continue to grow, but it showcases to these students, look, A, Fort Worth is full of entrepreneurs that want to help build businesses and, and want to help uh, other entrepreneurs. And B, someone else believes in you, that it's not just mom or dad saying, you've got a great idea. Now, here's a CEO of a business going, I like what you're doing. How can I help you with your business? Wow. So let's talk. Let's talk about the money part. So yeah. got, I got a, a audience out. You know, the audience out mm-hmm. there, all of you fine folks that uh, you know, which was really surprising because when people listen to this, they go, "You you really do less of the talking than I expected." <laughs> and I was like, "This because the show's not about me; right. it's about the guests and their content." Is let's say I don't want to be a judge. I don't want to do any of that, but I want to throw money at this thing. Lots of opportunities to 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 do that. What we try to do and what kind of we throw out is you can sponsor one of the teams. There's a lot of logistical costs that's involved with them coming here. So what does that look like? What, what so we look at you know about five thousand per 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 team for a domestic team, and about ten thousand for an international team to help cover the costs of them coming here, hotel costs, etc. Uh, but there's other opportunities to to have you know sponsor receptions and, and network opportunities where you can get out in front of the business community. You can get in front of these students. You have those opportunities to 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 be involved. And then you can, you know, just out of the great goodness of heart, I don't want anything in return. Just here's some money. You know, please keep doing what you're doing because you're doing good things. So for my my audience out there, these A players, because that's what we do. This, this this show targets high performers, right? So what's if you can disclose it? Can mm-hmm. I, I understand? But I've, I've I've probably got you know at least one out there listening that's going to go. I want to know the biggest check you've mm-hmm. received, so that way I can write a bigger check. I would say have that person call me and we can discuss that. But what's, either, what's the number? Can you tell me the number? Well, I mean, it's been in the uh, the you know six figures. All right. To help you know, especially getting things off, had one this year to help to help uh, uh, set up a uh, an award to give out for environmentally conscious ventures. Wow. So, you know, so we can find opportunities. For any of your listeners, you know, however they want to get involved, obviously love to have 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 any type of sponsorship or donors that. But if that's just not on their radar, completely understand. Love to have them involved as a mentor or a judge or just stop by. That's awesome. So, 
like the winding shows down with, let's go back to 20-year-old self. And you kind of tripped on that earlier. But let's, let's, let's dive into that. If you could go back and you and 20-year-old self was willing to listen to one thing of either do or don't do this, what, what do you tell 20-year-old Matt? I would tell 20-year-old Matt, don't do things you don't like. Tell me more about that. Too many times, you know, whether it's in my life, my professional career or others, people do things because they think that's the way they have to do it or this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the path I'm supposed to take or do or this is the education I need to have or the job I need to take or the role I need to do, whatever that may be. And it makes you miserable. But you think that's how life's supposed to be. For example, my first job out of college sucked. You know, I was a large-scale property adjuster for for an insurance company, meaning that I told a lot of people no, that you missed a payment six months ago, so I'm sorry your house burned down. Here's a bottle of water. Hope you feel better tomorrow. But we can't fix it. You get good at doing those types of things, and it sucks. It's soul-draining. Why keep doing it? Life's too short to keep doing things you don't like. Find that mighty purpose. Find that passion. Find something that you enjoy doing. And do it. I guarantee you there's a job, there's a career, there's a calling out there that revolves around that passion, about, about, about that thing you like doing. And if that is what you can find, find it as soon as possible uh, and don't do things you don't like. I mean, it's as simple as that. You know, I you know, work at TCU because I love working at TCU. I help entrepreneurs because I love helping entrepreneurs. I don't do things that I don't like. And, you know, the, the funny thing is I've, I've had this show – now, for a year and a half, it was really interesting. I had Aaron, my producer, that you met when you got in here. This, you know, when we hit the, the year mark, she was like, I think, I can't remember. It was some ridiculous number. She was like 70 or 80% of podcasts that start never, mm-hmm. are, aren't, they're just dead podcasts. They're not there after a year. And, and now we're well past that marker. And the interesting thing. Is every time I ask 20-year-old self, I'm like, man, and look, after 100 yeah. guests, sooner or later someone's going to say something someone else has said. Mm-hmm. Hell, I'm running out of dumb dad jokes, <laughs> you know, faster got, than I've I – I've got plenty uh, for yeah. you if you need more. I'm going to call you on that. Is But I still to date have not had anybody sit in your seat and give the same answer as any of the – I think, what are we – we're – with recording this series, I think we're well over 70 episodes because it drops once mm-hmm. a week. Different answer every time. That just, that, that's to me, we could do a series on, mm-hmm. we could just do clips on what would you tell 20 year old self? And we've got plenty of episodes where you would never hear the same thing twice. And I'd be worried if you did. Uh, you know, everybody's got a different story, everybody's got a different path, a different journey, a different experience. You don't want to hear somebody else tell you the same advice. You know, they already hear that advice. What's different? How are, what, what's differentiating? Why is my tidbit of advice something they should listen to as opposed to yours or somebody else or mom and dad's or whoever it, it may be? I love your idea about doing a podcast on those ideas. Why not? What's the worst that could happen? No one listens? Okay. Well, I doubt that'll happen if people tune in just listen to you. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> rope into an elevator and then find out. Uh, uh, but it's amazing what people come up with on how they reflect and think back of, gosh, maybe I haven't ever thought of that before. What would I tell tell myself? What have I learned over the course of my professional and personal life that I'd want to know, you know, 20, 20 years from now? Or, you know, on the flip side, what would you want to know from 20 years from now? 
what would you tell your you know seven year old self about what you know what 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 you've done or did or should have done? Wow. So. Audience out there, they want to learn more about Matt Smiler and TCU's values and ventures. Where do they go? How do they go there? We got a website. We got a, We got an yep. email, phone number. What, what, what sure. do they do? Uh, Neely.tcu.edu slash V and V or, you know, M.Smiler, S-M-I-L-O-R at TCU.edu. Perfect. And, man, Matt, thanks for coming on the show. This was great. Not not only because you added great content, but you are a very, very dear friend of mine, and I appreciate you gifting me with your time to come on. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time and you, you and putting me out, out here. I really appreciate it. Hope I could, you know, live up to the, uh, the, the past 70 or so guests that you have and inspire the next 70 or so.